too often authors spend too much time on that on this what's called the subject but what am i saying about it that gets into specificity more narrow you get the better if you're really struggling with that compliment what am i saying about the topic i'm writing about then it's probably because you haven't done enough thinking on the idea you probably haven't done enough research you have this to do this deeper research, you start to synthesize ideas and your your own idea expands. And then you can go back to your thesis and say, I know what I'm writing. About. I know what that compliment is. I know what I'm saying about the topic that I'm writing about. So if you're frustrated with that compliment phase, it's probably because you haven't dug into it. Welcome to Beyond Better, a podcast that explores a simple but profound idea. We all deserve to live lives we love and that includes our work lives too. I'm your host, Stacey Ennis, an author, book coach, speaker, and longtime location independent entrepreneur living in Portugal with my family of four. Years ago, I was living in Idaho and dreaming of more for my life. And today I am living a life of my own design. Join me as I talk business, location independence, writing, publishing, and so much more, all focused on building a life that is beyond better. If you're an aspiring nonfiction author, I would love to help you write your book. I help authors, aspiring authors just like you, go from idea to draft. I do this through consulting, one-on-one coaching, and group programs. If you are ready to get serious about finally writing that book, that book that's been on your heart, on your mind, and probably has some kind of integration into your business, your brand, or your broader impact, I would love to connect with you. Just reach out to me at hello at stacyannis.com and we will have a conversation about your book, your big vision, and how I can help you. Welcome, welcome. As we wind down 2023, I have been thinking a lot about all things publishing and really getting to provide information that will support you if you are working on a book. And so I'm really excited about today's guest. We're going to talk about business in relation to your book launch. We're going to be talking about author platform. We're going to be talking about how do you know what you need along your author journey? And how can you also be honest about what you need and um, objective about what you need? And then how do you actually find that help? So I am very, very excited to introduce our guest today. Dave Getz and Melissa Parks are co-founders of Journey 6, an editorial services company and independent publisher for the family business community. They serve advisors, coaches, and consultants, as well as the families who want to publish videos, books, and other content to tell their family story. From ghostwriting to coaching to publishing, Journey 66 provides everything you need to professionally write and publish your book. So Dave and Melissa, welcome. We're so grateful to be here. We were just talking about how we had you on our podcast, and it was one of our very favorites of 2023. So it's an honor to be back here on your podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. I'm really excited. I loved that episode. Um, and I think particularly it was nice to just get a talk to other industry experts, but I got a bit emotional at the end of that conversation. It was a really beautiful discussion and I'm glad to get to now bring you to my community. I'd love to start with hearing your founding story because all of us in this world of publishing 
we have something that drew us into the world of, of books, right? And then specifically to pick the niche of family business, early in my career, I, I started out actually working with in the family business space. This was quite a long time ago. And it is a very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it, it demands a lot of you because you have not just business, but you also have relationship dynamics and you have legacy. So I'm curious to hear a little bit about what you, drew you into publishing and then what drew you into the niche of family business. I'll start. Dave and I met at a publishing company 25 years ago. He was actually my boss at the time. I was fresh out of, actually, I was in graduate school. I was pursuing my PhD in literature and I was working part-time at the publishing company. And so we met there and um, Dave was an editor of books, a ghostwriter of books, of a um, well-regarded magazine back when magazines were actually a thing called Leadership. And I did some editing also there. And then I had a child and at the same time, his he and his wife had a child there about the same time. And I took a break from graduate school. And in that period, Dave started a marketing agency. And at that time, it was when custom um, content was being moved online. And so it was before there was MailChimp and all these ways to publish your own content and emails. It was it was 2000, year 2000. And so Dave had this idea after going to a publishing um what was that, a workshop? It or? was uh, the Stanford publishing course. They used to hold that every year out in Stanford. So they would bring together about, it'd be like 150 to 200 people from around the world. They'd have people from South America and Germany and then all the people from New York and then all these small magazine publishers and book publishers. So I, they took my, my last year there. I was there eight years at this small uh, magazine publisher. And that last year they sent me to to Stanford for two weeks um, you know you got this emotion of being on the Stanford campus but you know we had we had we got to, we had the speakers were you know the people who did the Zabruder film I forget his name uh, that, that discovered the Zabruder film published it at Life magazine and so we had all these editors and book editors from New York and and designers and that the internet was just hitting and so there was all this emotion in fact, in Stanford's Law Center, one of the evenings in 1999, we got to hear Jeff Bezos from Amazon, and it was electric. If you've ever, you know, it was high and holy worship. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, it was church, and, and Jeff Bezos was presiding over church, and I think it was the, the editor of Wired Magazine interviewed him. It was, I mean, I, I get chills just thinking about it. You know, it was so electric. Guy Kawasaki spoke, you know, he's that, um, you know, podcaster now and was the, one of the, the original guys at, at Apple. And all that to say is I came back and said, huh, I can do this. And so I started my own business. Little did, little did I know how hard it would be. But anyway, that's a completely different story. You started to work with a lot of family businesses. Dave was connected to people in the family business space. And through that, we started to do book projects and we created our own publishing imprint called Big Snowy Media. And it was really confusing for people in our marketing agency to understand what this publishing business was. And we did everything from ghostwriting to developmental editing to editing to 
the publishing side of um, a book project. And so in 2000, right around when COVID hit, we decided to to separate. 2020. 2020. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 2020. I mean, my digs. So in 2020, when COVID hit, we decided to found Journey 66 and just separate the two and um, and to serve people who want to write books. And um, just because we've had successes in the family business space and we we love working with families because they're so missional and people who serve families typically really um, are tied to a mission it's something that gave us great energy and we just we followed it it's like if you're going to be doing something let's do what gives you the most bliss i don't know what you would add to that dave no we stumbled into it uh probably 10 15 years ago we had a couple clients that um needed help on the book side that were in the family business. It's a very tight community. And so you do not, this is not where you market yourself into the ultra high net worth family business community, right? There's no marketing. It's all referral and it's, um, it's through relationships. And I just, I totally stumbled into it. And so anyway, it's just been a great gift. So we do like that. We don't just do books. We also do the videos and other types of whatever the digital deliverable is or deliverable is. But we started out doing books because uh, that was kind of the main uh, the main piece initially. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting to your point. Uh, probably a lot of these families are not Googling for no. this, right? They're, they're referring, they're relying on referrals um, so getting that trust and really delivering, and I, I love that you have so much history as well, and you've seen so many things develop over marketing. I mean, how wild is it to start before MailChimp and to be able to, you know, evolve and grow with all of these things, but also to stay up on it and dynamic with it. Um, I would love to talk a little bit about how the various things you do connect with business strategy and growth. And, um, you know, really specifically, I'd love to talk about the book as that kind of, um, you know, I like to talk about it as fertile soil from which other things grow, because I know you offer videos and you do other, other components of the marketing with the book. So let's talk about that a little bit. How does a book connect in, you know, of course, you're in the family business space, but I think that that is applicable broadly to nearly any business. You go ahead and start, Dave. So there really are, there's two categories. It's a really good uh, question. There's two categories. One is project for consultants who work in the family business communities versus um, the other type of projects that we do are um, families who want to, they're, they're anxious about their family history. They know there's a lot of stories there. They want to tell that in some way uh, before some of the aging members in their family um, die. So they want to capture the stories, capture the memories, and they're trying to figure out, you know, what's the best way to do it. Sometimes it's a book. Back to the consultant side, um, I think a book is, there's something really unique about a book because if you lay down the ideas in a book, you have the work that you have to do to come up with a really strong thesis, a structure, all the stories and the research that you do, I don't know how to say this, but you're putting out something into the world that is very unique. It's very uniquely you. And it is something that is not a commodity. And so much of marketing is a commodity, right? And, and, you know, you're selling 
you're branded, you're branding yourself. And but man, when you when you take the time to, I think we're going down maybe a rat hole here. But when you take the time to really think through ideas, to agonize over ideas, and you you produce like that book, you're doing something so unique in the world. And I think it's why so many people aspire to it. But it, it's hard work. But it's just a wonderful thing. And I think for marketing yourself. If you're like a business leader, it becomes really a signature for you. And if you can do it multiple times, which is hard to do, so you don't just produce one, but maybe a second or third, that's where you really get some momentum, I think, in in the work that you're doing to do something unique in the world, which then gets you an audience that's different in kind from traditional marketing. I'd add that um, we have a lot of aspiring authors, people who come to us and say, I want to write a book, and they don't know what it entails. And there are two tendencies among authors, as you probably know. There's the imposter syndrome, which is, who am I to write this book? I shouldn't be writing this book. I can't write this book. Nobody's going to read this book. And then the foil to that, which is so ironic, is that you secretly have this belief that you are going to be the best seller. And so these two things coexist at the same time. And in your brightest, most hopeful moments, you do believe that you're going to become this best-selling author. Somehow, you're going to have this 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 event take place, and you're going to sell those copies, and you're going to be asked to be on shows, and it's it's going to be this breaking point in your life, this wonderful positive breaking point. But what ends up happening is you end up most authors, first-time authors, um, don't sell that many copies. I we talked, we worked with a author who got a deal with a traditional publisher and they wanted him to sell 3000 copies in the first year and self-published um, authors. I don't know if you have a different number, but our number is you sell probably good, a good number is about a thousand copies in your first year. And, and that's just not a, a lot of revenue, right? That's, but that's the reality. And so this book is not going to be a revenue generator in and of itself, but it can lead to some really wonderful opportunities. And um, we worked with another author who had a traditional book deal and he did pretty well with book sales. The uh, probably, I don't know, around that 3000 mark yeah. the first year. Was that Andrew? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was it was yeah, it was about three thousand. That's yeah. right. That's right. And he, what happened though is he got some really good publicity where his ideal audience was, and he was written up in the the Times, the Financial Times, the of Financial London, Times yeah. of London. And what ended up happening was a family business, and this was his target audience. He was a consultant of family businesses, saw that article, got the book, and then said we want him to be on our board. And it was one of the biggest family businesses in the world. And so he got this long-term seat on the board and that is revenue. That is that is a business, right? And so the book led to something really, really wonderful, but the book in of itself was not something that was hugely successful by um, Wall Street Journal's <laughs> measure. I love these examples and both of what you said really resonated with me. Dave, to your point, I think there is an internal journey that you undergo as you are doing the hard part and you're pushing for clarity, you're you're pushing for discipline because it does take a lot of discipline to write a great book or even just get like the dang draft done, the first draft. 
Um, but then the other side of it, to your point, Melissa, it's like then now in in Dave's orientation, now you're able to show up fully for these opportunities. But to your point, Melissa, now this book opens you up to these opportunities. And I am often, it's interesting because a lot of times on a first call that I'll get on with people that I you know might end up working with, um, one of the earliest conversations that we are having is, how do you actually measure ROI on this investment of money, time, energy, focus? Because there's always a cost to everything, at least in the short term. But how, what's that long-term return on your investment? I love that example. Um, I want to hear a little bit more about how you broadly support people, because I don't typically have people on who work outside of just the book world. And I know that you're working with a Chicago-based client right now, and you're doing both a documentary and a book. And I think it's staged, doc, is it documentary first and book second? I can't, I can't recall. They're kind of on tracks right now, the same parallel tracks okay, right now. Yeah, they're, they're happening in tandem. Yeah. So maybe we could extend our conversation a little bit on how did, how did your client and you think about this intersection of these two things? How are they and you thinking about what that will open up in the future? And then to touch back earlier, not to make this too multilayered of a question, you mentioned thesis. So that's also probably developing a little bit. Maybe you've got it fully developed at the beginning, but you're deriving all of these things probably also to the future opportunity. Talk us through that that big project and kind of the many layers of that and how you're thinking about that, I, I think it'll give our listeners some really good ideas in their own in their own work. Yeah, that's a great question. I'll start out and Dave, I'll let you jump in. <laughs> but our client came to us with, as Dave mentioned, as lots of families come to us, is we have this rich history and people are slipping away that have the stories of our legacy. And we want to capture these so future generations know the why behind what we do. And so they, they're proud of their history and they want to capture it. But for somebody like that to, to capture it, they don't know where to begin, right? I mean, that's kind of like an author um, writing more, a more traditional book. It's like, you have all these great ideas, but where do you begin? Um, and there's this research that you do and this brainstorming and you probably have multiple files and you're like, but what do I do with it all? And that's really where our client was at. What do we do with all these stories? And in talking with them, we listened to what their needs were. And we um, had this idea that, you know, a short documentary would provide kind of this, um, this overarching narrative, the narrative arc of their family business with all of the major things that were at stake and how they, and how they survived those moments where there were turning points and it could have made them or broken them and they, it, that it made them. And so we thought, let's, let's focus on that. But what do we do then with all these other stories that they want to tell? And so we decided a, a nice thing, because you can't put everything in a documentary, especially a, we wanted to keep it short so people would actually watch it. You know, you, you don't want to watch a 30, 50 minute video on a, a family business. It would just be pretty boring, except to the family. And they want to share it with stakeholders and employees. So um, so we, we decided a book would be really nice that people could dip in and out of. And we decided why not create a series of stories that tell these, um, that, that touch on 
the values that this family holds dear. And, and this really goes back to what you were saying about a thesis. And in our research phase, and this is true if you're writing a traditional book also, is you have to identify what that governing idea is that's going to drive drive your book, drive, in this case, the narrative arc of the documentary, and even and even drive this little mini book that we're creating of a collection of stories. And so through our research, we found out, okay, there are three things that have sustained this family. Um, it was hard work, it was generosity in relationships, and it was this, this ability to see what was ahead before that thing had actually arrived. And so we began to then go through our, our transcripts and everything that we had done research-wise, and we said, okay, these are, the story has to hinge on one of these three these three big ideas these three principles does it demonstrate their generosity or was it a moment where their generosity was t tested was it does it display how they came to value hard work and does it display you know how they saw things um, coming at them and that also then became the rudder for this book that we're we're doing everything goes back to those three ideas and so while this isn't a traditional book it does have this thesis i don't know dave what you would add to this gosh that is that was perfect i you know one of the things uh that how we structure the, the one of the things that happens often when people say okay i have a history is they get in a videographer and they start mm -hmm. shooting video but they have no idea what they're shooting and they don't have really preset questions and so we spent we probably did somewhere between 30 and 40 interviews before we actually began to write a script so I think in this instance if you're going to do something that is more documentary ish you need to have a script and a script has to have structure to it and structure as we all know in all writing is like the hardest thing ever. Nobody ever teaches you on structure. And so we organized it around kind of what memoirists do. We organized it around what just, and this is a common word, and, uh, and I'm sure you know this, but we organized it around tentpole scenes. And so we felt like there are, there were like four to five tentpole scenes that really define this family, this family history. Obviously, there's the start in 1907. It was the same year in Chicago when the Cubs won their first World Series. Uh, they didn't win one again until 2016. But th they started then, and they were delivering coal and ice up and down the streets of Chicago in mules. So, But we didn't want to start the book with that. And we actually started, or not the book, but the, the, uh, the documentary. documentary. We started with the fire in 1955 that wrecked their entire business, took out all their fleet. At that point, they had trucks. But it really illustrated what was so powerful about that story was that their competitors came in and served their customers while they got back on their feet and thus saving the business. So think about that. They had such great relationships. This is classic family business. Private equity would never talk like this, would never do this. They would crush people and then get crushed venture capital, but family businesses, I mean, there's just something so, so anyway, this was just such a delightful project. So we started the, the, the video with that, and then we went back to the beginning and then told the narrative. Uh, so it's only 15 minutes. So, um, so anyway, so we, we organized it around temple scenes, but I think having that narrative arc, having that script 
doing your research beforehand, and then kind of deciding what are the deliverables. So we really didn't come up with that idea for the book. And what it is, it's there's a spread, right? So you have an on the left-hand side is an image, and then you have what's really a short story, really short story. It's or even it's it's some of them are even quasi essays, and they're in the first person for the most part from say the perspective of a vendor who had a great relationship or someone talking about the death of which was another stakeholder was which was another tent pole scene they lost a a son and a leader in the business to cancer or was it cancer no 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 marvin's disease oh marvin's disease sorry thank you thank you <laughs> so all that to say is you know structure was everything on this project and then it also helped us define okay what deliverables outside of the video by the way there's actually three there's the there's the documentary, there's the book, and we're going to have a third, which is because you just can't capture all, as, as you said, can't put all that, you can't put all those videos in a documentary, it becomes a junk drawer and, and inherently uninteresting, right? It has to be really tightly edited. So we're, we are putting together um, just a, all the great content from all the videos with all these older gentlemen and they're mostly gentlemen some of the other stakeholders and some of the current leaders so that will be a separate thing <clears throat> which is really more of a, a collection of stories mm, i love that um i have so many follow-up questions but before i go there um for people that have never heard tent pole scene before could you explain that because i'm sure somebody's listening and going that's really interesting i want to know what that is so you have in a family history, well, I'll, let me, this is true if you're writing a memoir or in our context, we're talking about a family history. Um, uh, but just think about it if you're writing a memoir. A memoir is a memory. It's not an autobiography. autobiography of everything that happens in your life, right? You, you're in, so people can write multiple memoirs. You know, they can write five to seven memoirs, and they're all very different because they're they're about this memory. So, but in a memoir, you have these kind of they're kind of quasi-defining moments. They're big, major scenes where there is so much at stake, right? Where there's huge loss that happens, or um, there's some risk that is needed to be taken. So you don't, if you have, a, if you're trying to write a memoir and you don't have four to five major scenes like that, you probably don't have a memoir. And in addition to those tentpole scenes, you also need these sub stories. So maybe 30 to 50 of these small stories that fit in between those tentpole scenes that really carry the narrative around. But back to the family history, we had a bunch of small stories, but we had to identify the, where something big was at stake. So the fire was one. The start of the business was another. There was another moment in the 50s where there was some, and we didn't talk about the conflict among the family, the two leaders in the business, but one wanted to do the old world. The other one kind of saw around the corner and said, no, the future is getting into innovation. And they, so they, they started um, being a distributor of products. Today, they're the largest master distributor in the U.S., but the, they, they kind of saw the future, and that was a key to turn po uh, tentpole scene. Another one was the death of, of one of their leaders, who, who was beloved. This guy was the laughter in the organization, the joy. He also managed you know, one of their biggest accounts. That was a key moment. 
Um, COVID. COVID was a key moment. And right before that was in 2000 when they made the switch to uh, technology. They really saw the future and jumped on it. So we, we created these 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 uh, tentpole scenes and then stitched in the stories. Uh, the smaller stories. The smaller and stories. I just mentioned that the temple scenes really become this way of identifying um, key themes, right, that you want to bring up in your memoir. And so... Um, so th that helps you organize your ideas. And one way, if you're writing a memoir, you have these temples and you're like, what's the big idea that I'm trying to communicate? Or what happened before this to lead to this moment? And what happened after it that this, this moment informed and made me think differently or do differently. And so you start to group these ideas around these temple scenes. And I, it's a really great way to begin to think about organizing your ideas and finding a structure for your memoir. Um, it was a mess when we did it for this most recent video, uh, just as an example. I mean, we had so many creative sessions where we're like, where does this go with that? And this goes with that. But as soon as you have those temple scenes, you begin to think, oh, this one was about seeing around the corner and investing in technology. And oh, I remember back in 1930, you know, the, the next generation, they, they had this piece of technology. They were always first adopt, early adopters. So you begin to see how these things go together. So even if it's not chronological, which lots of people think memoirs need to be chronological, they're not. You can stitch stories, stories from the past and the future around ideas, around these temple scenes. It's so practical. I'm sure somebody listening to this is like, yes, that was so helpful. So I really appreciate you diving into that a little bit more deeply. You mentioned to go back to the thesis, just from a really, just since we're on this practical flow, if somebody is listening to this and they they are saying, okay, all of that makes sense, but I don't know how to find my own thesis for my work and let me just say one thing before you answer this, because the the piggyback that I have on this story that you just told about the documentary is that that informs all of these other things that are happening, right? In that case, it was a documentary, but somebody, it might be informing a new revenue stream or it might be informing a keynote or, you know, a new coaching offer, you know, which would be in the revenue bucket or, you know, all of these other things that, that could come up there that that thematic um, orientation does end up influencing forward. So how does somebody start? Because what I get a lot of times is people come to me and they say, I have endless ideas and so many parts of my story. And, you know, they, they struggle to sort through it and, and really land on that, that driving message. That's such a good, you go first, Dave, and I'll jump in. These are hard questions. <laughs> uh, they are so hard, uh, hard, hard questions. So my guess is when someone comes to you, um, they have, they have an idea for a book and they also have all these other ideas. And so the hardest thing to do when you have multiple ideas is to kind of winnow the idea. And because in doing so, you're saying no to a lot of other things, <laughs> You have these ideas, but they're not a book thesis, and you have to have a thesis. An idea is not a thesis. So we always break down the idea of a book thesis, and I'm not giving you very much practical on how to get there, but we can talk about that. But just to tell you what it is, a book has to have a very narrow idea, not a general idea. If you have a general idea, you're going to be frustrated 
and you'll write a really uninteresting book because there's no need for more general books out there, right? So the more narrow your idea and the more narrow your thesis, the better. So you do have to do some research. So I would start with what are you most passionate about because that will be the only thing that sustains you for 250 pages about, you know, a couple years of your life, or maybe for me, it was almost eight to 10 years of my life, you know, um, but you have to, you know, it has to be something that does drive you, you think about, and that you feel a modicum of passion about. So back to thesis, and I'm going to shut up. So <laughs> I let Melissa, so a thesis really has two components to it. It has the idea, like, what am I writing about? So I wanted to write about a spirituality of the suburbs. And I didn't want it to be religious, but even though I am somebody of faith, I didn't I didn't want it to be like using, I just wanted to use kind of sociological analysis to talk about these things that are at work in the American suburbs. So I did a lot of research on suburbs. There weren't a ton of books written. David Brooks had written one, um, Bobo's in Paradise. I don't know if you remember that book from the New York Times. It was a great book. And then there was a bunch of sociologists. Kenneth Jackson wrote one uh, called Crabgrass Frontier. So I'd done some research, but there really wasn't something on. So I decided to make it first person for starters. But, but the, the thesis that I eventually landed on was that there are these environmental toxins in the suburbs that pollute our soul. And I identified eight of them. So that became a very narrow thesis. So a thesis has two parts. It has, what am I writing about? That's the first question that a thesis answers. But it has this second element. What am I saying about what I'm writing about? And too often, authors spend too much time on that on this, what's called the subject. What am I writing about? Well, I'm writing on this general topic of suburban spirituality. But what am I saying about it? That gets into specificity, and that helps you focus on narrowing. So, I mean, a practical thing would be, if you have an idea for a book, would be to start writing out both a subject and a complement and, and, and write down 25 of these. And the more narrow you get, the better. I'd also add to that, if you're really struggling with that compliment, what am I saying about the topic I'm writing about, then it's probably because you haven't done enough thinking on the idea. You probably haven't done enough research. You have this, you, you haven't done what Dave did and gone and looked at all the books on the suburbs and you haven't done you know, deep research on the spirituality that happens maybe in in suburban life, even if there was anything out at the time, you, you start to um, explore maybe spirituality books. And when you start to to do this deeper research, you start to synthesize ideas and your your own idea expands. And then you can go back to your thesis and say, I know what I'm writing. About. I know what that compliment is. I know what I'm saying about the topic that I'm writing about. So if you're frustrated with that compliment phase, it's probably because you haven't dug into it. And you, you need to read those books that are similar to yours that you you imagine yours kind of looking like so you know that you're going to be saying something a little bit different or maybe you're going to be saying it from a perspective that's a little bit different so it's not third person but first person or whatever it is that you choose to do it's maybe more memoir than um, deep research whatever it is but you you need to figure out how yours is going to be narrow and how it's going to be a little bit different. And that all starts with research. So we're huge fans of research. And of course, there's a point of diminishing returns with research where you use it to delay the actual writing process because writing is so hard. But there is some basic research that needs to be done if you are stuck, if you haven't done any research to begin with. 
I love these points. And um, the thing that came up for me while you were talking about this idea of what do you want to say about it is the just the sim- simple have an opinion or but that opinion is driven by expertise or experience. Right. And I find that a lot of um, this has actually been a journey for myself in my own work, you know, coming with most of my career as a very kind of consummate professional voice in most of the things that I've done and then really stepping into having a strong voice and um, coming in and having opinions based on expertise and experience that that I'm willing to, you know, to, to you know, stick my claim on. Um, and I think that can be kind of scary for people because it feels easier to just come in and, and be, be take kind of a basic approach to something. But what makes it interesting in part is you and your unique lens and, and what you bring to it and the opinions that you have and the expertise. So I, I love that so much. My last question that I want to offer you, um, offer up to you, I should say, as somebody is listening to this, um, so much, we have gotten a lot of practical pieces toward the, towards the end of this. So I really hope this is helpful for people that are in that early stage. But there also might be people who have been on this journey for a while and they are feeling a sense of stuckness, whether they are early on or they have a draft done. And um, interesting, it's interesting because I get a wide variety of people that reach out to me. Some are like, I've wanted to write a book for a long time. I'm ready to do it. And I know that I need coaching. Like they, they just are there. And then other people, they've been working on the thing for years and they're like, clearly this isn't working. So I need support. And then I get a lot of people that write me that have a first draft done, which is not the space that I work in. I help people from idea to draft, but that draft has been sitting for a long time. And so there are so many different points that people can get help. A lot of times they don't even realize that help is available to them or they don't recognize that like maybe they know they're stuck, but they're also not like open to the expertise that really needs to come in and help bring this book to life. How do people recognize that? Like how do, what are some maybe question or checkpoints that that they could ask themselves and then maybe offer a few options. We talked about book coaching as an option, which I know you, you offer, um, there's editing. What are some of the things people could be thinking about at different stages in their journey? That's such a great, great question. And, um, I'll start by saying the reason why we named ourselves journey 66 is because writing a book is a journey. Um, it's like a long road trip and you often break down on the side of the road or you get lost on the way. And so for us, it, it's a really helpful metaphor to help people understand that it's, you know, if you're if you're stuck, it's very natural. That's part of the of the book writing journey. And I you should find comfort in that because that means that you you are doing the hard work of writing if, if you're stuck um, or if you're even entertaining the idea, that means that's something very exciting. Um, I, I think one question that I would encourage people to ask is how long are you going to continue going in circles and say, I, 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 I'm stuck and maybe someday I'll get help, but not now. And how much time continues to go on that your idea doesn't move forward? And if this is a priority, um, maybe it's a question of how am I going to um, make room for 
for spending some um, extra money on getting that help. And I think it has to do with you asking yourself, how important is it for me to get this book into the world? And I like to ask people, how do you feel about your work not getting out into the world? And what is a, what is a greater pain, being stuck in stuck here with no book? Um, is that is that more painful or the pain of like investing real time and money and getting this this book done and i i think that people who really want to write a book and get it out, out into the world will say it would be really painful if i didn't complete this book because i have something that i have to say it's a burden and i want to say it and i want to help people and i want to use this to build my business and um, to help even more people through that so um, i think it's just reflecting on you know what 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 do I really desire? What what are my 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 hopes and my goals really? And reconnecting with that that's my soft answer. Dave, do you have any harder <laughs> answers than that? Well, the hard thing is it, it is there's a, we always say there's two mountains to climb when you decide to write a book, and the first mountain obscures the second one. You don't even know you have to climb that second one yet, <clears throat> which we haven't talked about, which is promoting your book, and it's actually the higher mountain. Um, but when you're, um, when you're first thinking about it, there's really two models. One is you decide to write a book and you get help on the front end with, a, with some form of a professional editor. And so, and so they walk you through thesis, the whole, you know, what your expertise is, Stacy, which is this expertise on just the whole thing. That will save you so much pain um, because you, you typically, while it's hard to get feedback like that, or it can be hard to get feedback like that, Sometimes it takes you years to get to a first draft and then let's say you engage someone and you realize your thesis was um, buried in chapter five and actually you need to read to structure the whole thing. I'll, I'll just tell you this. So when I, I submitted my, I, I, I published, I worked on this, well, I don't need to tell the whole story, but I will say that I rewrote Death by Suburb probably five times. And, um, and after I submitted, I submitted like two or three chapters and the proposal and they said, yeah, we're kind of interested, rewrite it. And then j just the chapters that I had submitted and then I, they came back and said, yeah, that's pretty good, rewrite it again. And they asked me to submit another chapter, rewriting it. So I, I will say there is a mindset if you're going to write a book back to the journey that you're going to be writing and rewriting and are you up for it? And back to Melissa's point, you know, how it's not like, um, it's not like starting to work out or something. I mean, this is, this, this is real work. And if you want to put your ideas into the world and do it in a way that's really clear, forceful and uniquely you, um, at some point in the journey, you do need, uh, professional help like um, you know like st what, what you do is so strategic on the front end um, because it, it just changes it revectors your entire book journey hmm. I love all of that and and I'll volley that back to you in that you have such a niche area of expertise and I I think people don't realize this about the publishing industry it's so wide there are so many components to it and if you have a specific need, finding somebody who niches in your area and really deeply understands what you need specifically is so important and it can save you so much time and so much energy. So somebody who has a family business and they want to do all the things that 
that you offer, they could go to a generic, you know, all, all service type of place, but that is going to be a totally different experience than if they go to somebody like you who has that niche expertise. Um, and people don't realize that. So I like to talk about that so that, so that they do have that awareness. Um, thank you so much. Now, I did not cry in this episode, but it was still lovely all the same. And especially all the practical, I love practical stuffs, And I know our listeners do too. Tell us what you're most excited about right now and where people can learn more about you. What am I excited about right now? Well, it could be a personal thing. We always do what we call a positive focus every time we have a team meeting because we want to set the course for, uh, so we do everything from, we, it can't be work. It always has to be personal. Um, but in terms of work, well, just personal in terms of writing, I've been kind of stuck just mentally about, you know, what do I want to write about? I just published, uh, didn't just, about five years ago, published a book on fly fishing. I'm a big fly fisher, had a podcast, and we sold a book through the podcast and stuff. But I'm, I I want to re- write another book on, called Fly Fishing Proverbs. So you take a kind of a saying from, um, from one of, they're just legends of fly fishing, men and women through the years that have, you know, just, you know, you know, in fact, I've got a proverb from a 14th or 15th century woman who I think is one of the first, she, it was called, it's called fishing with an angle. She wrote this little treatise. And so I got a little quip from her. And so basically it's, you take the, the proverb, put it at the top, and then you write a short essay on it. And so I've got about five of those done. So I'm really excited if just personally, I'm really excited about that. I just, I enjoy, uh, doing that, you know, on the, on the work side, I, I, you know, just working with these families, such a joy because when you can, for me, I'm just so missional. I mean, I, I care about, I care about these ideas. I care about these people that, that have these stories to tell, right? They're so important and they're so moving. And so being able to get those out into the world, I don't know, it just gives me great joy. So that's what I would say for me. <laughs> yeah, ditto to that. We we love where we're at right now, um, serving families and also those who serve people in the family business space. So we're um, grateful to be here today, though, to talk to your audience. And we hope they found some nuggets for their own writing projects. Well, I can feel all of the the love for the work that you do in, in every conversation, every every discussion that we've had today. I want to give our listeners where to find you. Um, so it's at journey66.com and it's spelled 60 is spelled out and then the number six. So we will be sure to also put that in the show notes so that people can learn more about you. Uh, Melissa, Dave, thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much, Stacy. We loved it too. Stacy, it's really an honor when you asked us to be on here. It just made us feel so good. So thank you so much. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for joining me. Uh, And thank you to you, the listener or viewer for joining us today. I hope this was really helpful. There were so many good practical nuggets in here. And then also hopefully you can think about the example of the documentary and some of the other conversations and consider how what you're working on could expand what other areas can can that pull into. So I hope that was very helpful for you. Thank you as always to Rita Dominguez for producing this fine podcast and Catherine Fishman for project support. And I will be back with you before you know it. Bye.
You can always access show notes, including any links mentioned in this episode at stacyennis.com slash podcast. And you can connect with me at stacyennis.com, on Instagram at Stacy Ennis, or on Facebook at Stacy Ennis Creative. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Here's to building lives that are beyond better.